Welcome back to TT Podcast Part 2 with Mick Grant and uh, we left on a bit of a cliffhanger in Part 1. If you've not checked it out, make sure you do. Um, Mick, Mick was going to reveal all Steve's secrets because Mick was uh, team manager for, for, for Steve for uh, a time. It wasn't a long time. It seemed a long time. I bet it did. <laughs> so all those stories that you couldn't tell about yourself, you can now tell us about Steve. You so see, there's different ways of putting it. I, basically, what you're saying is I made their bikes look good for a few years. Mick? <sighs> <laughs> would it be okay if I just had a difference of opinion there? Absolutely, <laughs> in, true, no. in true Yorkshire style. It, 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 I mean, in actual fact, I thoroughly enjoyed working with Steve. Um, but at the end of each meeting, the one thing that he, he, he never says thank you or that's a job well done. Unbelievable! You can't believe it, can you? And I remember at the end of most meetings, the, the year, the, the championship year, uh, I said, "How was it?" Oh, this is a pile of <laughs> pile of shit. Well, we had two things. It was either a bag of shit or a pile of shit. If it was a bag of shit, we're all right because we could scoop it up and do it. But if it was a pile of shit, it was no good. And he was winning races and whatever. And, and still complaining. We got to the end of the year, and I remember Benny, his, his main mechanic, I said to Benny, I said, well, he's done all right in the championship, but yeah, just I just feel frustrated that we never got the bike right for him. He said they were taking the mickey out of here. The bike, the bike was mint, <laughs> was it? <laughs> uh, so, oh dear. So you let him down the garden path. <laughs> Poor oh, old Mick getting not. stressed. But listen, this guy is, is not to be trusted. <laughs> we, we once, the team owner was a lovely fella called Russell Savory. And Russell, we, we almost had a, a deal with, what was the shoe company, Steve? Um, Oh, the big yeah. thick crepe soles. Doc yeah. Martins. No. It was. It was Doc Martins. Was it? Yeah, it was Doc Martin. And we finished up with these, yeah. the most uncomfortable shoes I've ever had in my feet. <laughs> and we were forced to wear them every meeting. And I got sick of these bloody shoes. They were killing me. I went to Macau to the Macau Grand Prix. And I was sharing a room with a guy called Enzo De Clemente, the Ducati yeah. Yeah. team I manager. I remember watching him race <clears throat> years ago. And... Yeah, Enzo. And as we finished the meeting, I said to Enzo, I said, these shoes are going in this bloody wardrobe. A couple of months later, we have the Christmas party, the Honda Christmas party, and an Indian restaurant. And the new we used to go there, so they used to clear all the paintings off the wall and take the carpets up. <laughs> and it got a bit messy towards the end. <laughs> and um, Steve, who is known for not giving stuff away, <laughs> is going around all the Honda people giving them presents. And he got me a present in this wrapper. And I'll tell you now, unashamedly, I had a lump in my throat. I felt, I felt really... Emotional. And I opened this box and there bloody shoes in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So... Did yeah. I get thanks? <laughs> did you thank him like that? Unbelievable. Oh, dear. So what, what made you move into, into that? Obviously, you've... You raced, and we, we we spoke about that. And you know, even if we had another five hours, we won't be able to yeah. to delve into all of it. But you, eventually, you did end up moving across into to team management. Yeah, I, I did the Macau Grand Prix. My last race was the Macau Grand Prix at the end of 1985, <clears throat> and um, I'd won it in '84 on the RG 500. And then '85, the bike wasn't right. It was not very good at all. It didn't finish. How either. many times did you win Macau, mate? <sighs> I've forgotten. I've forgotten. 
How many times did you win? I suppose I got to go through this. How many TT did you win, Steve? Well, I, only, I, only, I only entered three years. All oh, right, so, okay. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't ask you that. How many did you win? <laughs> now, honestly, that was a serious question. How many times did you win it? I won five races, but I think overall I won twice because yeah. there used to be two legs. And oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Two yeah. legs over like, and added. Yeah, the, the one Saturday, up. longer one Saturday, one Sunday. Yeah. All yeah. oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So eighty-five was your last. That was your last race as well. Last Macau. race, and I, 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 I came back from the second race in Macau, and um, I came and I said to my, my mechanic, "That's me finished," and I thought, "Where's that? Where's that noise come from?" I, and I must have been subconsciously thinking about it, and I'd just had enough. And yeah. um, I went back home, I spoke to my wife, and the following day I got to go down to Suzuki to renegotiate my contract, which was there. Mm-hmm. The, the, On the, the table. Yeah, but they didn't want me to race, if I'm, if I'm being honest, because they thought I'd had them. And Dennis Rowan, who was the boss then, he said, I've, I think you've had a cracking career, and I'd like to be this person that sees you stop. And anyway, we, we did a deal where I would go into promotions and then two years after that, I'd take over the racing team when Rex White retired. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly what I wanted and I never regretted it. And that was really good. I mean, my old mate Roger Marshall, but old Roger, he had to stop because of sponsorship, sort of mm-hmm. didn't work for him. And then if, if you're having to stop and you're in that mental state where you want to keep on racing... It just takes a long time to get it out of your system. Yeah. But for me, I've just I've just had enough. Yeah. Not, yeah there's not I, many, I didn't I didn't regret it for one minute. There's not many riders that are lucky enough to to say I'm going to stop and stop and that's right and live without that regret. That's right. And then at two years, like sabbatical, just not doing much at all, and then I got a job as technical director for uh, MCRCB British Superbike for a couple of years, and then I moved into team management. It's you know, I sort of enjoyed it, but. Really, when you think of it, team management is not—it's not anything like a good racing. When you're racing, you're you're riding for number one. I know mm-hmm. you've got responsibility for your team and whatever, but you're riding for yourself. When you're team managing, you've got people like this to come <laughs> look after, and all you're going to get is whinging. And yep. if if there's anything good happens, if somebody turns the right little knob on the bike, it makes it better, or does something that makes it—it's there what they've done it's the rider. if it all goes horribly wrong it's a team manager yeah. so it's a it's a no-win situation you've, yeah you've just got to live with it but that's where you are now isn't it steve that's true very true yep all, the, all those it, times it, it, he does deserve it he does <laughs> he does doesn't he yeah. <laughs> yeah like god said listen son you're going into team management yeah, just to let you know how you've put through poor old mick through everything so from that side then from stopping in 85 um when the decision was made um, none of that was really planned afterwards. It kind of all sort of fell into place. Obviously, you had good times, you know, with James Whittam on the Suzuki's, yeah. and James was unbelievably fast, obviously, yeah. and just and a good lad to work with. So, yeah. you know, uh, you was and and local to where you lived, you know, another Huddersfield lad. Mm. So it kind of uh, all sort of tied in nicely. It did. I, I don't, I'd be the first to admit I've been through my career. I've been very very lucky. I was lucky that you know I got into team management and whatever. And even with team management. I got to a point where I'd just had enough and I stopped and it never bothered me that it never happened again. Incidentally, going back to Plato... <laughs> it can't be like... Brilliant. <laughs> we were doing a, a 24-hour race down in... Um, 
Paul Ricard. Paul Ricard, that's right. And Honda put us in this, we're in, it was almost like a chateau, he got a swimming pool and all this. The bike was shite, but, but got good accommodation. <laughs> and Priorities. And it was an old building and there was no air conditioning in it. It was a stinking hot night. And I've got my little room there and I'm, I couldn't, about three o'clock in the morning, I, can, I couldn't sleep, so I pulled the, shoved the sheets off. I'm still too hot, so I took all my clothes off. And... You know when you're half asleep and you're not quite wet and I could hear some rattling and some giggling. Anyway, I thought no more about it. And again, we go to the Christmas party another year. And again, we're in the same Indian restaurant and the Honda's top brass are there. And I'm stood up giving Steve and the other rider, Mara Brown, some stick and really enjoying myself. And then halfway through this, which was going really well for me, <laughs> They both stood up, opened the jumpers up, and they got T-shirts on, and I'm there on this photograph, <laughs> curled up like a little embryo, com completely stabbed bullet naked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, One of the best achievements of our career. I don't so, know to get that. That quietened me down a bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. In front of the top brass. Right, now, let me tell you the true story. <clears throat> okay. Go on, then. So, Mick, I know for a fact, as a very big soft spot for red wine okay oh dear. so he was always uh, sticking his chest out when he's at the bar yeah, ruffians drinking that beer and stuff anyway cut a long story short that night he made us drink red wine so we wouldn't let him go to Mara and I wouldn't let him go to bed we kept buying more red wine more red wine more red wine so off he went so he wasn't just going to sleep in a hot room he was steaming <laughs> off his head on red wine. Right, okay. oh. Wouldn't have woke up if he'd put an hand grenade under his pillow. I forgot that bit. <laughs> so you went in with the camera? Oh, yeah. With the sole intention yeah. of doing Light that? Light came on for a split second, boom, off. <laughs> Perfect picture. Oh, dear. How did that go down with the, uh, the top brass at Honda? Oh, mate, they loved it. Did they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he dug himself a massive hole. I think, in fact, I think he had a JCB. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well. Hey ho! Right, well, I'm just going to sit back now. Every while dog you has two, his day. While you can discuss these stories of of days gone by. So, mate, TT wise, um, you know, you've seen some massive, massive changes over the years, especially in, you know, terrain because corners have changed and surface, and you know, from going back to when you um, first started, whenever it was, was uh, what the year sixty nine was it? Yeah. First yeah, yeah. At, at the banks. You know, what What was the surface like then? You said about the white lines being slippery. but Well, I mean, for example, on the Veloset, which wouldn't do much more than 110 if you threw it down as a pit shaft, um, like on the Cronker Body Straight, you felt physically sick at the end, it was that bumpy. Um, I remember in going even up to 1975, Steve Parrish first came to the Isle of Man and he said to me down the Sulby Strait, whereabouts do you ride down there? And... I said, well, you, you ride right in the middle. He said, well, why is that? I said, because it's the further away from the edge. <laughs> and, and, and in those days, we, we, didn't have, we, didn't, we didn't know much about suspension because you just more or less got on and rode the damn things. And um, if you could get the bike to go down Sulby Strait without knocking it, that's a 750, that was right for the race. That, you know, just, that's all you got to do. And it would take all practice and a lot of ideas that we didn't really have much idea about to, to make the thing do that so what were you doing to the bikes how much how much adjustment could you actually make with those springs back in the day not much you'd just alter the springs maybe <clears> alter the 
alter the spring rates and alter put a bit, bit thicker or a bit lighter oil in whatever and mm. alter the gear in and, and do but the the, the adjustment the, there was almost no adjustment there's no preload or no 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 or anything no. like that but was it the tarmac the asphalt was it was it rougher than in general the whole lap round was a, it a lot of it was chipping on tar so you had a situation where if on a really hot summer you were actually got melted tar so it was actually quite dangerous it was yeah. sliding all over the place um but you know i remember in 1986 the year after i finished i had the chance of riding stanley woods 500 works of set around there and in 1939 the last time he rode it he he averaged well he did 90 mile an hour lap <clears throat> and i rode the bike round on closed roads as quick as i could and i did just about 90 miles an hour and I came back and Stanley said, he says, but Jesus, he said, you've gone as quick as I went in 39. And it made me realise just how quick these guys were going. How fast. In 39. Mm -hmm. Because then the roads were 30% narrower, 100% bumpier. And Crap tyres. Crap tyres. Mm -hmm. And you just yeah. don't know. You can't imagine how we went down at 90 mile an hour. You just can't imagine it. But if someone jumped on one of your bikes from the from the seventies, you know, a new era rider, they'd say exactly the same about yours, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, I've got this theory um, that if you got, say, the top guy from each era, from from nineteen, say, from Stanley's time in nineteen thirty nine up to the present day, and if you could actually equal out the tyres, the engine performance, the road conditions, everything else, and put them all in a on a computer, mm -hmm. these top guys, they'd all finish with a fraction of a second of one another. Yeah. They were just different bikes to, to ride differently, uh, but the top guys would still come out, I think, the same. Still on top. Yeah, and, and, and to finish off on that, I think the biggest, if you're looking at horsepower, suspension, tyres, all these things that would actually make a bike quicker, the biggest single factor is the road condition. Yeah. Without mm -hmm. a shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. And what do you yeah. think now, Mick, obviously with the level of um, machinery, um, tyre quality, you know, everything, all of the little ingredients that go into the machines, yeah. how fast they are especially, yeah. you know, doing a lap around a TT. Does that, does that float your boat? Is that something you'd like to, or wish you was in that era of racing now? It's, it's no, I don't even think about it because it's not my era. My era mm. was, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. So... I admire the guys that were going around now. They're going around so quick, but I just don't. It's don't get me. Don't misunderstand me. But I don't think they're any better than the Hale Woods or the no. or the Stanley Woods of this world. They're just it's a different era, and it's very hard to com compare. Yeah, if Hale Wood was in this era with his yeah. talent, he'd be riding as fast as yeah. as, as Hickey. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So out of this current crop, obviously you still you still come over as a as a fan. Who who do you kind of look towards to to support, or um, who do you who do you enjoy watching racing? Well, now? the last I mean, the, the, my last proper involvement was obviously with Norton um, a, a few years ago, and we had Josh Brooks, and then we had um, the New Zealand guy who now just commentary. Uh, Cam Cam Donald and then, Cam, and yeah. then Josh. Yeah, and uh, I, I really I quite enjoyed that. Um, I mean, now I just I just go as a spectator and watch. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have any particular favourites. I just I just go to a nice place to watch. And where's your favourite spot to watch? I like watching at the top of Bagara. So Bagara's, how many miles are we in there? 
it'll be about ten miles. It's yeah. got, you run down towards eleven. That's, the, yeah. that's, yeah. that, that's yeah. where the, that that fast compression is. That yep. yeah, yeah. into that left hand. You remember, you remember um, Milo, yeah. the newcomer. Yeah, he yeah. was talking about this is one of his worst places that he mm-hmm. struggled. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And talking to that, did you have places where you struggle with or? I, I had a system <clears throat> to learn that <coughs> even right until my last year of race. People that go and uh, go there as newcomers and just go round lap after lap, you're actually wasting your time mm-hmm. because you suddenly you do half a lap and you concentrate. And then after that, you're in the garden at home, or you're doing whatever. You, you just don't concentrate. You don't learn anything. So what I used to do, I would after a practice session, I would pick out three or four places I didn't feel comfortable at, go in the car, get out of the car, and really all you've got to do is identify the apex. Where the, where the apex is, it's quite simple. Yep. And once you've done that, then the next practice you go out on those bits you really mint at, and then you pick another four places. And, yeah. you, and through you, through my career, I, I did that all the time, and that's that's because these places come back again after a few years as as the road changes, the bike changes, and whatever. Um, but, but that's that's how I did it. So when you're back there, obviously people, you know, people in the paddock will recognise you. Do, do any people come up to you and 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 try and Siphon off a bit of that that experience. A bit less and less these days. <laughs> they just come up to him and ask ask him, does he need does he need any help crossing the road? That's all they call him. Can I can I can I help you with your Zimmer friend? <laughs> no, it's it's just nice to actually be a spectator now rather than an active part in it, and you know I thoroughly enjoy it. And you take your uh, your enduro bike out there. Yeah, my trials bike. Yeah, trials bike. Yeah. Seventy eight, still riding. Yeah, That's not very well, but yeah. <laughs> hey. Be nice. You said you were going to be nice. No, uh, hey, listen, on a <coughs> trialer, he's still doing all right. I know. Uh, who'd have thought it, eh? Mm. Still, uh, still life in the old dog yet. So, future-wise, Mick, can you see it getting much quicker? The Isle Man, you it, know, it, it, well, they, they always harp on about speeds. Of, well, we should I say yeah. on the TV always harp on about speeds and various it things. It will always get levels. quicker. Yeah, but it's 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 a uh, it's diminishing returns. I mean, for example, when the quarter quarry bends. Um, when I was riding there, you were down to second gear because there was, and now it's sort of, I believe it's fifth gear even on a superbike. So there, they've picked up maybe eight or nine seconds, maybe more. <clears throat> um, road conditions, more than anything, will actually keep improving the lap times. Yeah. I mean, there's coming out of Parliament Square, if you ever look, just opposite the, where the garage is on your right hand side, the little bit of pavement that sticks out on your left. There's a patch in the road, about two metre patch. That used to be a pavement edge. Just there, that would give you another two or three seconds. Mm-hmm. It's not there. You know, so, yes, speeds, unless they bring the horsepower down. Um, if, but the current crop of bikes, they'll always go quicker. Yeah, exactly. I think, but like we were saying, you know, um, in one of the other podcasts, I think, and, uh, I think it was Clive Paget commented on 129 mile an hour, Michael Dunlop on a 600. Yeah. You know, Flipping yeah. fast, even yeah. on the smaller bikes. Yes. Yeah, a lot Incredible. of people would like to do that on a superbike, wouldn't they? Yeah, Let alone would make, on, yeah. A, on a 600. Yeah. Um, just going back to that, you mentioned Quarry Bends. Your guys are dropping it down to second. Again, is that is that how the road's changed, or is that down to the bikes and if, the, the if handling? Watch, if you watch, no, it's how the road is. The road is completely different. Right. If you actually went through Quarry Bends now, the, the, the as you go into it, which is a right-hand corner, it's a very slight left, right and left bend. Before that, it actually went into a lay-by, which is actually still looks like a lay-by, mm-hmm. right on your right-hand side, and it was second gear. 
Right. Completely, they've just flattened the, the, the vault of the rock completely. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. Just the same as coming down to Brandish. Yeah, the it, left. That used yeah. to be second gear. It's right. now, I believe now it's fifth gear on a superbike. Again, there's probably 10, 12, 15 seconds there, I would that, think. That's the left-hander before Hillbury. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. After, yeah, after the Craig, yeah, they changed that in yeah. two for 2007 my first year mm -hmm. yeah. but then I get like like Mick says I guess it all <clears throat> excuse me it'll all come down to road conditions and weather if, if you yeah. get one of those hot hot summers again like we saw in 2018 2018 was the yeah. fast was the fast year wasn't it when yeah. when Hickey yeah. blew the lap record so it's going to yeah. be down more I, I mean the uh, the, the, there are quite it. a few the, the different are. ingredients obviously yeah. for a lap record and obviously one of those is heat but yeah so what's the future for you, Mick? What are you just going to keep coming to the TT and supporting it? And absolutely, yeah. <laughs> until someone tells you you can't ride a bike anymore. Yeah, that would be what for a while. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Shall I finish off with some? Uh... You must have got a few more than usual, yeah. right? No, no, just a ten. So just, um, just a ten. We always finish a podcast off. With Steve's quick fire questions, I've got a feeling they're going to be. No, there's nothing dramatic in oh. here. You haven't got a flipping. <sighs> We're safe. Right, Mick. Quick fire questions, just answer one or the other. Right. I don't need any excuses, nothing else. Beer okay. or wine? I know the answer. Wine. Huddersfield <laughs> or the Isle of Man? Isle of Man. Pineapple or never pineapple on a pizza? Pineapple. Good lad. Two stroke or four stroke? 50-50. Uh, what did I tell you? One <laughs> or the other? Uh, two stroke. I knew it would be. Mike Halewood or Joey Dunlop? Bloody hell. Oh, we could talk about this for half an hour. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, your own reason, Mike Hailwood or Joey Dunlop? It's got to be Hailwood. Road racing or circuit racing? Road racing. Right. 10,000 foot parachute jump or sail from Portland to Spain through the Bay of Biscay on a small luxury yacht. Believe it or not, I'd go for the yacht and be sick all the time. But at least I wouldn't be frightening my life, <laughs> life out of myself. He's the worst person on a boat. I was going to I've say, there must be something, there must be something here. But, but you haven't seen me jump out of an aeroplane and neither will you ever. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've seen you parasitting, that was enough. Yeah. Right, TT Pillion Ride with Michael Dunlop or me? Dunlop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm hurt. Ginger Hall to Ramsey or Ramsey to the bungalow? Yeah, yeah, the first one, Ginger Alter Ramsey. Ginger Alter Ramsey. Last one, seven times TT winner Yes. or 500cc World Grand Prix champion? Well, the second one for sure. That Ooh. surprises me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Fair play. Mick. Thanks, Mick. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. There we have it. You can say anything you want about him now. He's gone, Steve. <laughs> the best thing with that man, you can be very honest. It was, it was, it was an insightful chat. And um, again, again, I say it every week. People are probably getting bored. Like, what a great guy. Oh, incredible. You know, so many stories. Like you say, he's yeah. like Clive Padgett, you know, a few weeks ago, you just want to take him to the pub and sit down and waffle for ages. I'm very lucky, you know, that uh, I spend a lot of time with him and I get a lot of these stories, especially the ones he can't tell. This has been the second part of the Mick Grant episode of the TT Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure you leave us a rating. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we've got plenty more star-studded guests coming up on the TT Podcast. And next week, 
we have a legend from the sidecar world, John Holden. You can't stop the age thing, can you? It's just a number. I, I don't feel any different than I did 20 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I stopped eating wheat, so that means no bread, no cakes, That's no biscuits. Problem. And that was, I read a book called Wheat Belly that my sponsor Ian Bynes gave me. And uh, yeah, I thought I'll give up that. And I have done. And I feel loads better without it. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. Warburton. <laughs> <laughs> that episode is out next week. Now, don't forget, you can get all the latest TT news and features over at iomttracers.com. And you can check us out on all the usual socials. We are at TT Racers Official. Steve, I'll leave the last word with you today. Did a good job remembering all that. Pro. Tip top. <laughs>